Welcome to the New Clothes Podcast. This is where we are creating a space for our brokenness, yet remembering that God uses broken people just like us. We are laying our shame at the foot of the cross, and we are walking courageously in our freedom. We are standing on the promise of Zechariah 3, 4. See, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these new clothes. Whew! Satan, you don't get to win today. We are forgiven. We are free. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. So let's get started, friends. Let's sit for a while. Talk of his love. Talk of his mercy. Power from above. He's given us new clothes. Come on. How much is a transformed life worth? Did you know only two out of 10 students will make it all the way through high school in Haiti? But even though Haiti is in a humanitarian crisis, there are children who are learning how to dream. We want to invite you to be a hero in a young student's life. We want to invite you to sponsor a high school student so that they will continue to attend high school. They won't be part of the statistic. They will learn critical thinking and leadership and hands-on skills, and you will be empowering them to make the change that we all wanna see in Haiti. We invite you to come along. Go to www.reachoutlefund.org slash give. There you can set up a monthly payment or a one-time payment, but we would love to have you partner monthly with us. Would you be a hero? Welcome to Thursday. This is your host, Jamie Sinsmere, and I have decided that on the last Thursday of the month, we will talk about either Haiti or missions, um, whether missions in Haiti or missions elsewhere, But I do want to have a moment just to share with you a little bit about my life. I am a missionary in Haiti, and we run a couple different programs. I, um, living in Haiti has not been easy. There is a lot of things going on in Haiti. And in fact, last September, I guess it was September 30th, I flew out of Haiti thinking I was leaving for five days to go to my grandmother's funeral. And... The night before we returned, I could tell my husband was really stressing. And my husband is a Haitian man, and he understands the country a lot more than I do. <clears throat> and I could tell it was heavy on his heart, and I knew I needed to ask if he wanted me to stay behind. It was a hard decision. At the time of my grandma's funeral, we had... Um, Bandi, which would be gangs. We had a gang leader who was controlling the gas. So there was, there was gas, there was fuel, diesel in the country. However, his gang had control of the area. So it unloaded off of the boats, but it just stayed at the dock and it wasn't able to get into the country. And so when we left, we were about four weeks into that, maybe five, and things were beginning to shut down. And What that means is for in a country like Haiti, we don't have 
power 24 7. For instance, this week, my house received, mm, I think we received power two different nights this week. Um, and that's from like Thursday to this Thursday, or actually probably last Tuesday to this Thursday. Um, and so out of those two nights, we had power for about five hours each night. The rest of the time we don't. So we are fortunate to have a couple solar panels. It doesn't run everything, but it does keep us going. Um, so the country of Haiti lives a lot off of its fuel sources. The hospitals run off of generators. The Culligan Company, water company, same thing, runs off of generators. If there's not power all the time, you always have to have backup. And so we had several hospitals that were closing or were limited hours because they didn't have enough fuel to be open the whole time. We had, um, the last time we paid for gas before I came into the States, we paid $35 a gallon. I had friends who had paid up to $50 a gallon. Um, Culligan water closed down because they ran out of fuel. So uh, they were not able to provide clean water. Most of our neighborhoods have an osmosis system somewhere in there. It's somebody's livelihood. It's how they make their money. Uh, however, they don't usually have a well. They usually have a truck bring water in and they put it down in their cistern. They pump it through the osmosis system and then they sell that water. And they could not do that because the trucks ran out of fuel. So the trucks could not bring water to those stations we were still in rainy season a little bit, so we could catch rainwater. Um, so the cell towers, that runs off of fuel, right? So um, towers were closing down, so the, the cellular signal that we usually are used to uh, was not there. So when I went to my grandma's in the five days, my grandma's funeral in the five days that I was there, things were getting prog progressively worse at a pretty fast rate. Uh, so I knew that it was weighing heavy on Junior's heart. And we made the decision that because of the fact that I couldn't barely do work before I, was, before I left, and it was going to get harder to have signal, and it was cholera was, out, was starting to break out because we didn't have clean water readily available, and hospitals were closing down. It was just becoming more dangerous than he would like for me to be in the country. And so we agreed that I would stay out. And so I have been out of the country. I've been out of Haiti uh, basically all of October, November, December. And I came in on January 17th. So it was the longest I've been out of Haiti in the last five years. I moved uh, New Year's Eve of 2018. So this past New Year's Eve was my five-year anniversary. When you're out... It can, you can, you can struggle when you're out of country and, and part of your family or your ministry is in because you can struggle with what, what's called survivor guilt. And, you know, I would go to a store and I would look and around and, and I would just wander and be overwhelmed because I had so many choices before me and I'm not used to that for one thing. Um, but also I knew that I could have anything within my reach and I had a family back in Haiti because my husband came back to be with his daughter. I have a stepdaughter over here. She's a wonderful girl. And I knew that they were leaving on very little because it was very hard even just to find supplies. And that was 
that was difficult. It was difficult to stay out. And then um, my husband came out for about a month and a half. I went back and forth a couple of times. And we sent money in to take care of the people that were living in our house with our daughter. And um, I finally came back in. And so when you come back into a Haiti, to a country like Haiti, you have to be very careful. So when I was flying in last Tuesday, the only person that knew that I was coming was my husband. And I think my daughter, my stepdaughter knew I was coming. Um, and that's about it. Nobody really knows the date. They might know you're coming soon, but they don't know the date. They don't know the time. They don't know what flight you're on. I don't post it on Facebook or Instagram that, hey, I'm flying into Haiti today. I'm so excited. Because when you fly in, if too many people know, you may be attacked at the airport. So what happens is it might be somebody you know setting you up. It could be somebody you know just talking about the fact that, oh, my friend's coming in and they're excited to see you. And then that person thinks, oh, there's a foreigner coming into the airport. I know the time. I know what they're doing. Maybe they have money on them. Maybe they have supplies. And I can I can rob them as they leave the airport. And so it's just really important to be uh, very quiet about what you're doing. So I never announce it until I'm in the car with my husband while I'm in Haiti that, hey, look at I have arrived. After I came back in... Um, you're hit with everything. So there's definitely two different cultures from the simple things like hot water <laughs> to cold water, which in the summer, cold water is fine here in Haiti to shower in. However, in December, we have, it's cool at night, you know, uh, especially if you live in the, in the heat all the time. 65 is very cool for you. And your water gets quite cool. And so to take a shower when it's, you know, only 75 out or 60 out and the water's cold is like a little bit of a shock to the system. So there's simple things like that. Um, you know, things might not be working or there's not water and you have to go get it. Or we don't have gas. Our, our machine, our, our machine, sorry, our car. A car is called a machine in a Creole. Um, our car was not working well, so it was a little sketchy driving around, and that was crazy. Other other crazy things, I had reacclimated to driving in America and the way that we have our systems and our stop signs, and everybody drives a certain way, and we have all of our rules that we all follow no matter what state we're in or where we're at. And you come into Haiti, and the driving is what I call organized chaos. And so uh, they have their own set of rules and it's a little crazy and it's a little different, but it does work. Um, but you have lots of very close calls and in, in so close to other machines. And, and I realized like, oh, I'm getting a little timid about the driving when I'm so used to it any other time. And so the driving was a little different as well. I had a moment where, um, well, I won't share that yet. So what's going on in Haiti? Maybe you don't know. A lot of people in America don't understand what's going on in Haiti. So I want to share real quick with you what's going on and why I'm so afraid to come in here and why we were without gas and just what's going on. So about a year and a half ago, our president was assassinated. There was, it was the night in between two prime ministers. One was stepping out, one was stepping in. And prime minister removal and, and 
Um, when they change prime ministers, a lot of times it's a political move to make somebody happy. And so it wasn't that the old prime minister was bad. It was just probably more of a political move to make some opposition happier. Well, so Moise uh, Jovenel was killed in the middle of the night, uh, July 6th or 7th. It was in the middle of the night, so I don't remember which day it landed on uh, of a year. Two, it will be two years ago this July. We still don't have any president. We don't have an election. While Moyes was in presidency, he was trying to do some changes in the policies and the Constitution. And so he had not held like midterm elections. So a lot of our, our government was... Um, they have... We were losing our senators and our representatives because they were timed out because we didn't have elections and their time in office was maybe a two or three year term and it was their term was up. And so as of when the president died, we only had uh, 10 in office out of what was supposed to be 30 Senate. And I'm not not sure how many um, representatives we're supposed to have, but they weren't all there. And we are now at the point where we only have the de facto prime minister. We have no representatives and no Senate. They have all timed out. All of their term limits have finished. So we are a country without a government, basically, uh, or a de facto government that has not been voted in. We're a country where the police get paid about $200 a month, and often they get they have to wait a month or two before they get paid. They're always being paid in the rear and late. We have a country that is built over the last, I would say, 20 years, 30 years off of uh, gangs. So when Baby Doc was taken out, Aristide came in and he really was a big introduction to gangs he had a lot of young people fighting for him. And it tends to have a lot of the gangs are have leaders somewhere up above that's, that's pouring money into them, whether it's a political person or a bourgeois um, to protect their area. And so the gangs were, um, they are controlled by somebody that we don't see because these gang members can't necessarily afford to buy food, but they have big old guns in their hands. And so we know that that's uh, not they don't have the, the ability to get guns into the country and to get weapons into the country and bullets into the country the way somebody that has power and money does. So there's outside forces going on there. Over the last two years, we've seen an increase in kidnapping. The kidnapping has been done by the gangs. And we have, we have over a thousand kidnappings per year, so that's an average of three to four a day. Um, we, I, everybody here knows somebody that has been kidnapped. Our neighbor was kidnapped. Junior's cousin was kidnapped. Um, Junior was actually in an attempted kidnapping, and we really know that the Lord, the Lord watched over him. He, uh, he was caught out in the street one night where our car was broke down in, in Haiti. You just can't leave your car out in the streets unmanned because you'll come back and you won't have a battery and you won't have this or you won't have that. So he didn't leave our car. And he had um, a group of guys, four or five guys, that came up to him, 
couple had big guns and one guy had him and he had a gun to his head. And my husband thinks he's invincible. And he said, I just, they're trying to push him into the car and he was not going to go. He said, I'd rather die than get kidnapped. And uh, he prayed and he said, God, you know, this is, this is the move I'm going to make. So I need either you to help me or I'm going to die, but this is what I'm going to do. And as soon as he prayed that, one of the guys looked at him and he said the words, Lison Bomba guy, which translates, he's a good thing. Lison Bomba guy. And, and he said, keep that, leave him, let him go. And the guy with the gun to my husband's head didn't want to. He said, no. And the guy repeated it, Lison Bomba guy, keep that. He's a good thing, let him go. And after a few minutes back and forth, the guy took the butt of the gun, hit my husband in the head, pushed him away, and they hopped in their car and they left. And so I know that it's only the Holy Spirit that, that watched over my husband that night. And we're so thankful for that. But a lot of trauma comes from that. We have of a friend that um, he, he's a foreigner. He's actually from Michigan like I am. And he was out the other day maybe a month or so ago and somebody jumped into his truck while he was in traffic and said drive where I tell you to drive he thought for sure he was getting kidnapped they ended up just stealing a bunch of stuff out of the back of his truck taking his iPhone taking his wallet or the cash out of it um, and then and they let him go amazingly but still so much trauma so anyways, we came back in, and, and, and the gangs at this point, the gangs this summer controlled about 60% of the capital, and they're saying right now it's at least 70%, and it may be more. And I was sharing with a friend the other day, I didn't realize how much had gone downhill, but last June, before I had left, we had gone home for about a month and a half in the summertime, which was our normal time to go. And I was still, at that moment, hopping on the back of a motorcycle taxi. And I would have the taxi take me down to the gas station or, or the grocery store if my car wasn't working or I just had to get a few things and I didn't feel like driving in the traffic. And sometimes I almost felt safer on the back of a motorcycle. So I would get all dressed. I'd put my long pants on and my long shirt and helmet and my glass sunglasses. And I would even put a, a mask on my face. So I would be pretty covered and you wouldn't see so much that I was a white person and a white girl riding around on the back of a moto. And I never did it in any, in any type of consistent pattern. So I never, whenever I drove or whenever I did anything, the only consistent pattern we had was going down to the center, but we didn't usually go the same way each day. It was always at a different time of the day or it was a different, a different route. So you had to, you don't want to be consistent when you're worried about kidnappings. Um, if I drove alone, oftentimes I would send my husband my pin so he would always know where I was and he could always see where I was going. So anyways, in June, I would still take the back. I would still take a taxi. I would still drive by myself. Um, in September, when we came back from that trip to see our family, I, uh, I drove by myself maybe twice in the three weeks I was here before I got out of country again. And it wasn't very far. And there was no way I was going to drop, no way I was going to hop on the back of a moto, of a motorcycle. Uh, and then entering this time, again, there's no way I'm going to hop on the back of a motorcycle. I don't know. And I'm not even driving myself. 
So the insecurity has just really, really gone down in the last six months, especially. But over the last um, two or three years, it has been gaining speed. When I came in, I just thought I would share a couple stories. This is kind of raw, guys. I'm just going to be open and honest with you today. There are some great things happening in Haiti and in our programs that we are working with the kids. We have kids, and I know other programs, who are working with young students to raise them up to be leaders. And we are fighting for their future in the midst of this hell that is going on here in Haiti. But there is hell going on here in Haiti. The first day I got here, we drove down to the gas, or sorry, to the grocery store. And Junior knows a fair amount of the policemen down in that area. The grocery store is fairly close to where our center is. And we try to befriend those policemen so that if we have insecurity problems at the center, we know who to call. And they kind of check on it when we're not around. And so he had brought back a vest. So, you know, like the vest that holds your ammunition and it holds your extra gun and it holds whatever they all they have. And so... Um, we had brought one down for a certain policeman, and he gave it to him. And another one of our friends had said, hey, man, I just love that. I would love if I could get one, too. So I had brought one down as well when I came down this last time. And so when we stopped and talked to this policeman, he was showing Junior how good his vest looked, and he was just so proud and thankful for it. And um, he told us about the other guy that we had brought the best, this new vest down for. And he said, man, this weekend, the, the Banzi, the gangs, attacked their truck. And they, he was at a checkpoint. The police have checkpoints here in Haiti. So they were at a checkpoint. The Banzi came. They um, overtook the police. They took their truck. They shot a couple of them. And, and he got shot in the leg. So he didn't die. But he was, you know, recovering. And he said he's mentally, he's just really struggling. Um, and so we, you know, we talked to him a little bit more and we went in and got our groceries. The next day, I had a gal come to our house to pick up some gifts that I had brought from somebody else. Every time you go into Haiti, there's usually somebody that needs to send something in with you because it's, it's not, a, not a cheap uh, shipping. So if you have somebody that's going in and you can stuff something in their, their suitcase, you try. So I had brought in some presents, some Christmas presents for a lady, uh, my friend from Canada. She sent it to me. And uh, her friend came to the our house and picked it up. And I was talking to her and she said, yeah, this weekend I was with my friend. She had gone to four different hospitals. She was pregnant and was trying to give birth. And she needed a C-section. And they went from hospital to hospital. And every hospital turned her down because they didn't have the supplies they needed in order to have the operation. They didn't have the, the fuel. They didn't have whatever they needed. And so she lost her baby. And the process of this going on, in the same moment that she's going from hospital to hospital to hospital, this pregnant woman's mother got kidnapped. And so... This gal who had come to my house to pick up these gifts, she says, I haven't even told her yet that her mom has been kidnapped. She, she's devastated about her baby. And, and <laughs> of course, I just, I can't imagine the weight that people have on them right now. So that was, you know, my, that was my first two days in Haiti. 
It was my first two days of seeing things. And, and you start going around and you see people, you see your neighbors, and you can tell there's a difference in their eyes. Every one of them have a story. My neighbor had a baby um, the same time that my grandson was born last July. I think she had her baby two or three days after my grandson was born. And her baby was born with three holes in her heart. And they had gotten it checked. She was with an organization and they wanted it to, you know, they try to let the babies get a little bit bigger so they're stronger because the, you know, the older they are, the better they have a chance of surviving the surgery. Well, she got rechecked this December and they saw, yes, the holes didn't close and they needed to get her an operation, but there is no heart surgeons here in Haiti. And so she would have to go to a different country to get it. And this organization was working on it, but they don't realize, I don't think, how bad it was. And I sent them the video that my neighbors sent me of their baby struggling to breathe, laying there, gasping for air. And I said, this baby needs help and it needs now. And I started frantically looking for other, other ways to get the baby into the States to get her somewhere where they wouldn't lose their baby. And that baby died. And I was devastated. And again, it's survivor's guilt, really. It's, I could have done more, or I should have done this, or I should have acted quicker, or... And you can just go down this spiral of these things that, well, what ifs, but the what ifs get you. So there's devastation in, in our neighborhood, and, and this, this neighbor is very special to us. We, we go down there every day. They have a little boutique in their house, and what a boutique is is usually in every neighborhood there's probably two or three that somebody has a little store inside their house, and you basically go up to a window and you ask them if they have this or that, and if they have it, they give it to you, and you buy it, and you go. So you don't have to go all the way to the grocery store. And so... It's just hard. It's hard seeing our kids come to the center and they're skinnier than they used to be. And we're fighting for their future and saying, keep pushing, keep having hope when it's harder and harder to have hope. But then there's the things that Haitians can teach you is perseverance. The things that Haitians can teach you is joy when it doesn't look like you should have joy. When they have little or nothing or maybe they didn't eat today, they might be sitting with their friend laughing. They might tell you God is still faithful. They have a perseverance that really nobody should have to have. They have a hope that's beyond all measure. They are strong people. They are a strong people. They are loving people. They are a people who push on no matter what comes. Because what else do you do? You either sink deep into depression or you find joy. You find hope. You find laughter. 
I always remember as a kid or <clears throat> before I lived in a country like this, reading books about war and thinking, how did life go on in the middle of war? But yet it does. People still have lives. Babies are still born. Marriages are still happening. People are still celebrating birthdays the best that they can. The best that they can. They're still going to school. Children are in the insecurities, maybe afraid every day, but they go. I have a friend who lives up the mountain from me and she has gangs getting closer and closer to her house and she prays over her truck every day as the driver takes her kids to school. And she's, she's an American, so she's, she's a white American and she realizes if she drives her kids to school, she will make her kids, put her kids in danger because if you have a foreigner for a mother, then you know, you have money somewhere. So she no longer drives her kids to school and her kids have to go through gang territory in order to get to their school. So they literally lay hands on the vehicle every morning before they send their kids off. And she said last week, the gang, one of the new gang members came into the mache, which is an outdoor market, and just started shooting into the air and I think shot a couple people dead and it was in the middle of this all that the schools were like, okay, if there was a break, run. And so they, as soon as there was a break in the shooting, they sent these little children running home. No parents knew that their kids were coming home. These kids are scared for their lives. And my friend said, I just wept as I saw these little kids, no bigger than their backpacks, running home. And this is all they know. They only know a war like Haiti. I don't know the, the Haiti my husband knows as when he grew up as a kid and the life he had and the freedoms he had and the beautiful trees he had in his yard and the fruit trees and, and different types of insecurities. He had different moments of, of seeing hatred and, and, and ugly things, but not every day. Every day somebody is, is being killed and you know somebody every day, almost at least three or four times a week, you hear of somebody you know has been shot, has been kidnapped, has been robbed, has been something has happened to them. And it's tough. But if we can learn something from the Haitians, it's perseverance. It's never give up. It's hustle. If you don't make it this way, you try it that way. It's finding joy and laughter, even in hard, hard, hard moments. They can teach us. They can teach us. So today I leave you with this. I don't want you to think that if you don't, I think we talk about, you know, first world problems and we say, I know I'm just complaining. It's just first world problems. And maybe like, you know, what way you put your toilet paper, that's a first world problem. But, you know, we're all hurting somewhere. Everybody is dealing with something. And if you're not dealing with it right now, you will or you have, right? We go through these times of hard, 
of heartaches, of struggles. And one struggle is not more valuable than another. One struggle, my struggle is not more important than yours. It doesn't mean more. Jesus doesn't look at me and and want to do more for me than he wants to do for you. Jesus wants to meet each one of us right where we are, right in the mess and the chaos and the struggle of life. He wants to love on us. He wants to care for us. And, And it doesn't matter how big the struggle is. Everybody's struggle is important. And your struggle today is important. Your struggle that comes tomorrow, it's important. So I don't want you to put yourself down and say, oh, I shouldn't be worried about this. Jamie's over there dealing with all of that. Or there's people around the world, Ukraine, or wherever you want to think about that's going through hard times. Yes, they are. But it doesn't take away from what you're going through. And you matter. You You matter to God. You matter to me. You matter to yourself. And I want you to love yourself enough today to recognize that if you're going through a struggle, God sees you and it's okay to hurt. It's okay to hurt. But only if you're hurting with something, I want to encourage you. I want you to sit for just A few moments in time, depending on what your hurt is. Maybe it's a big one and you need to sit longer. But not more than half an hour. And just feel that hurt. Recognize it hurts. Recognize it's a struggle. And then I want you to just put it in a little box. Maybe you write it out. You put it on a piece of paper. And you put it in a box and you say, Okay, God, I'm going to let you care for that now. And I'm going to go on with my day. Because although it's okay to hurt and we do hurt and it's normal, we also want to go on with our lives. We also want to find joy. We also want to find peace. And we don't want to sit in that hurt and that sadness and that, and that struggle all day long. Don't allow it to consume you. Learn from the Haitians this. There is hope and there is still joy. You can still laugh in times of trouble. And it's not a bad thing. The Bible tells us over and over again that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It also tells us in quietness and confidence is our strength. In that quiet moment, recognize that God wraps his arms around you and he loves you and he's going to carry you through today. So, with all the sounds of Haiti, the generator started up. You probably hear that rumbling in the background. That's a generator because we don't have power. And uh, somebody wants some light at their house. And somebody's still working. You hear metal dropping from time to time and the kids running around. There's still life going on here in Haiti. Are people hurting? Yes. But does life go on? Yes. Are you hurting today? I want you to know life goes on. Don't let it go on without you. Don't let your family go on without you. They need you. You are loved. If you need to tell somebody about your struggle, I would love to hear it. Please check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Facebook. Send me a message. I would love to hear your struggle. And I'll write it down and I promise that I will pray for you. Because we all have hard times. But we all serve a God. 
that loves us so passionately that he doesn't want to leave us in the struggle. He wants us to surrender that struggle to him and be at rest and at peace that no matter if we see the figs on the tree, we will still praise him knowing he is God, knowing he will care for us. He loves you. He loves you so much. It took me a while sometimes to say he loves me. If you can't say that, I I want you to say that out loud. God loves me. And then I want you to say, I love me. And I'm enough. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great weekend that's coming up. I pray that you'll look. If you heard my message on, on Monday, I pray you'll look around. Who can you encourage? Who can you love on? Be the light of Christ this week. Surrender your hurts to him. He's there for you. He loves you and so do I. Be blessed. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing today's podcast and learning a little bit about Haiti and about what it's like to go in and out. Thanks for being graceful and dealing with all the outside noises that are distinctly Haitian with the generator running and the people talking in the street and passing by. I just love and appreciate each one of you. I would love for you to send me a little love by clicking subscribe and then reviewing. Will you review and give me a little a little love back? That helps me so much. And if you know somebody that's really interested in Haiti, would you share this message with them and just say, I thought about you today. Pass this along. Um, let's grow this community together. God bless.